Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each episode, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Our guest today is Brad Cam. Brad is the co-founder at Unstoppable Domains. Unstoppable Domains is, at its core, a blockchain registry. Brad, thank you so much for being here, and I'm super excited to talk to you today. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And so could you start by giving us just a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. So I am from Atlanta. I've been spent my entire career starting companies, started in the real estate world in 2012, realized that I needed to get out of real estate and get into the digital world, get into software. So I moved to San Francisco in 2012 to work on a company called Talkable. It's a marketing tech, nothing to do with crypto. But I moved into a house in San Francisco called 20 Mission. And 20 Mission was uh, profiled in some newspapers as the house that Bitcoin built because the second Bitcoin exchange in the US was launched in our basement. Some of the first early Bitcoin meetups were also in the basement. Vitalik gave a talk on Ethereum before the network even launched in our courtyard. So essentially everybody I met when I moved to San Francisco was some kind of a crypto hacker. And I, uh, you know, almost immediately fell down the rabbit hole and, you know, started spending most of my nights reading about crypto. Wow. That's a pretty amazing origin story right there. It was a crazy place. There was also a bunch of, you know, wild raves and stuff like that. So it wasn't all crypto all the time, but it was a crazy introduction to the to that world. Right. And now, as I mentioned before, you're the co-founder of Unstoppable Domains, which our listeners haven't heard of, they're certainly going to love hearing about it today. And it's something that's extremely unique, something I told you I'm very interested in hearing more about. So can you explain a little bit about your history with Unstoppable Domains, how you started there, and then what exactly Unstoppable Domains is? Sure. Yeah. So Unstoppable Domains was started by Matt and Braden, our CEO and CTO. And the idea was they were working on registries on blockchain domain registries and determined that this technology would have the ability to replace the current internet with a censorship resistant internet. And Matt has been my co-founder on previous companies. We worked together for, I think, like 15 years. And so when he decided to start the company, the first thing I did actually was I, I wrote him a check. I invested. And then a few months later, when the product was closer to ready, I came on to run the business development. And so that that's how I got involved. But Unstoppable Domains at its core it's a blockchain domain registry. And so similar to like a, a .com, VeriSign owns .com, except that we're launching our registries on blockchains instead of as part of the DNS system. And so what this means is, is domains are stored by the user inside of their wallet instead of stored by their registrar like GoDaddy. And so just like having your cryptocurrency in your wallet instead of your money in your bank, having your domain stored by you means no one can take it from you. And in the traditional domain world, domain seizures happen. Companies and court orders and things like that take away people's domains, which takes down people's websites. Mm -hmm. So we sought out to build tools for decentralized web. So that's the idea. So I know there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, that in itself is extremely interesting. But my question for you is, how will you guys deal then with, let's say, for example, a website that is devoted to piracy, right? And something like that. I'm sure it's a very, I'm sure you guys have like a lot of lawyers. And I'm sure you guys have a lot of smart people dealing with the legality of it. Can you give somebody like me, like a layman, like an explanation of how 
you would handle a website that, yeah, we love free speech and we don't want to censor anybody, but something that might be potentially harmful or might really have a lot of lawsuits coming toward it or a lot of DCMA or whatever takedowns that they have of pirated material and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think the way that these cycles go, they, they tend to have the sort of familiar pattern, you know, where every single time you have a new tech, so like, you know, you have peer-to-peer information transfer when you mm-hmm. first had the internet, there were all of these concerns. Does this mean that anybody is going to be able to make up whatever news stories that they want? And yes, there's a fake news problem in the world. So that is true. There are issues that that can come about. But by and large, the information that we have available now, now that we have the internet around the world, is far better than it was before we had the internet. And Uh, no doubt. It's also true with cryptocurrency itself, where previously you would have to go and get a bank account in order to be able to transact and move money around the world. And now you don't have to. So that having the technology tools not decide what's okay and what's not is critical for having a robust system that allows all of us to participate. If we have a system that decides what's okay and what's not, it means that a very small percentage of the world is going to be able to actually get access to those tools and use them. So the pro-censorship argument is really an argument for most people shouldn't get to use the internet effectively. So that's the end result of that, or shouldn't be able to get to use the internet in the fullest sense. So technology tools need to be agnostic at the base level because you can't trust any one person or any one group of people to decide what's okay. I mean, this has just been proven out over the past 20 years. There's all kinds of problems with what gets taken down on the internet. The Motion Picture Association of America has deals with certain registries where they get to decide what's okay, what should be taken down. I did a a master's thesis actually on uh, piracy and like the MPAA and the DMCA and and their takedowns and how aggressive they are. And that's kind of what made me want to ask about that because they are so aggressive, so like litigious that I just imagine that there has to be in the future some sort of issue that you're going to be dealing with that you're going to be hearing from them or something like that. Well, so the way that this plays out in the real world is that we are a domain business, meaning that we don't know what you're going to do Mm -hmm. with a domain when we sell it to you. And the idea is the, the issues come down to when somebody wants to put up a website and then a browser is resolving it. So it's really going to wind up coming down to what does the browser think is okay. And that's going to be the sort of the shift here, where in the traditional internet world, we've got like YouTube and Facebook and companies like that, where they kind of decide, you know, is this over the line or is this not over the line? And they're empowered or actually kind of forced to do this filtering. And what can happen in a decentralized web world is that that information is shared. So you've got multiple applications and they all say, hey, this address or this website is associated with, you know, some phishing or some bad stuff we suggest you don't resolve it. And then applications can share that. Then they can create filters around that. So you're not going to have one version of the internet. You could have a filtered list up on the blockchain that's run by the ACLU. Then you could have another one that's run by somebody else. And they could compete for moral authority, saying, here's where the line for free speech should be. And then applications can use that as a service. So right now, Facebook also needs to be our moral authority on free speech. They need to be the Supreme Court deciding what's okay and what's not okay to say. And YouTube needs to do the same thing. That's ridiculous. That system is completely not working. It's leading them down a path of, first of all, it's way too much work. It's not their core business. But second of all, it leads them to be manipulated. 
by various powerful forces who say, like, filter out the stuff that our adversaries are doing. Don't filter out our stuff. Or this YouTube video played, you know, five seconds of this music clip. This one hour long YouTube video played five seconds of our music clip. Take it down immediately. That type of thing. Yeah. And the thing is, is that all of this stuff can be adjudicated at the second layer. You can have just as safe and just as clean of an internet doing this at the second layer. You'll just have a lot more user choice. So one browser might say, hey, you know, this is the line. I don't think that this should be shown. And another browser might say, no, somewhere else is the line. And now I can choose my browser. Or my browser offers me multiple settings. I would remind everybody who's thinking about this question, this problem of filtering is a problem with the current internet too. The only thing that's changing here is now it's going to be, we're going to be more empowered to organize and share information across applications. That's what we're going to get with a decentralized web. We can have 100 different applications all working together on here's the bad stuff, here's the good stuff. And if something really does need to get out because it's important that it's heard, then a system like this will ensure that it does. And I think that's a great answer and completely for me, it makes the entire thing even more interesting to be honest, because then, like you said, it kind of puts the challenge on browsers. You know, and there's a lot of browsers out there. I know you guys recently partnered with Opera. There's also Brave, for example, is a big one in the crypto community. So it definitely is going to, maybe we'll probably see a, a shift in which browsers people use based on which websites they allow through which filters. So I think that's a great answer and, and makes things even more interesting. Thank you. Yeah, we were very excited. Opera browser just made dot crypto websites available in the same way as dot com websites. So you can just type in myetherwallet.crypto into Opera for Android right now and view the website. So like I went on your website and I looked at adding a dot crypto website for myself. Just I wanted to see how it all worked. Right now it says dot cryptos are not available. At least the ones I search. I'm a vain person, I guess. And I search for salvator.crypto because I think what you guys are doing is awesome. And it says that currently dot crypto is not available. So do I have to view it on Opera for Android in order to get that domain or is it just not ready yet? So not all domains are released yet, but most are released and even more will be released soon. So we will be releasing essentially almost all of the domains except for the most common terms, which are going to go to auction. So besides the most common terms that are going to go to auction, pretty much everything else should be be available. Any ETA? There's a series of releases. So every few weeks we release more. Okay. Well, I won't be offended if you guys put salvatore.crypto up at the top of your release. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right, cool. So like I mentioned, there are many other utilities that you guys offer as a blockchain domain. So why don't you tell us a few more of the, I guess, benefits or differences between having a blockchain domain and a typical classical domain? So a blockchain domain is stored by you. They do two things that regular domains don't. First is is that you can use them to receive cryptocurrency. They can be your payment gateway. So I've got Brad.crypto. You could send me Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin or any cryptocurrency to that domain. And you can just type in Brad.crypto. You don't need to know my addresses anymore. So that's one. It's this kind of like a Venmo payment gateway for your crypto. And the second is that you can launch a censorship-resistant website And the way this works is you put up a website on IPFS, uh, Decentralized Storage Network, instead of on Amazon Web Services. And then when you put up a website on IPFS, it's being stored on multiple different people's computers at once. So the reason why it's decentralized, the reason why it's censorship resistant is because hundreds or thousands of different people all have copies of your website. 
And so even if one of them goes down or turns off or whatever, you've got all these backups on the network. And so it's the combination of your blockchain domain plus your IPFS website that gets you a decentralized website. So I don't know if this is something you've heard plenty of times. This may be cliche. They say life imitates art, art imitates life, et cetera. Are you familiar with uh, Silicon Valley, the TV show? Of course. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the big part of that is in the later seasons is a decentralized internet and how they utilize, I think, like cell phones as part of their plan to do a decentralized internet. So have you like taken any cues from that show or has it influenced you at all? I mean, there are some similarities there for sure. Yeah, I think the speech in Congress at the beginning of season six Mm -hmm. uh, about the decentralized web that Richard gives could have been given by us. (laughs) Yeah, it's yes, it's a joke and it's a cliche. But yeah, it's part of the reason why it was something that was memorialized as a joke in a TV show is because of how big of a deal it is. So the decentralized web is is this massive, massive idea. One small uh, thing to point out. I think that the Silicon Valley, the Pied Piper project was a bit more focused on internet access, like internet service provider Mm -hmm. uh, access, which is a slightly different problem than domains and websites, Mm -hmm. although it's also an important problem. So both are important for the decentralized web, but what we're focusing on is more like a decentralized.com and like decentralized GoDaddy rather than, you know, decentralized internet service provider. Well, I mean, the whole idea of just decentralizing in general, I mean, I probably first heard of that idea through Silicon Valley, to be honest, the TV show. And hearing about it in reality is so cool and so interesting to see how it's happening. And I think I saw a video with you where you discuss how it's going to take 15, 20 years for this to really you know, become mainstream. Obviously, it's happening now, but in 15, 20 years, it's going to be a lot more mainstream, most likely. And so it's just really cool to see how that's happening. And yeah, I appreciate what you guys are doing for sure. Well, thanks for the enthusiasm. Yeah, of course. I hope a lot of people have enthusiasm about something like this. And if they haven't checked out Silicon Valley, then they should definitely check that out because it's a great HBO show. (laughs) I think the big thing you mentioned was the fact that you can have a .crypto address and that you can link basically all of your wallets to that .crypto address. I mean, that in itself, that's like such a huge thing to have. That seems like such a convenient way to handle all of your different wallets. So I feel like just that in itself is something. And the fact that you have these uncensorable websites that you pay one time. So I don't know if you mentioned that you pay one time, right? And then you don't have to pay anymore. That's another really cool feature. Yeah. I mean, it's in the traditional world, you have these parties that are kind of acting as licensors and things like that. And so it makes sense why you would have this kind of annual fee associated with that. But if that doesn't exist anymore and you're just relying on the Ethereum blockchain, then why would you need that? Right. Yeah. That'll make a lot of people happy. I mean, I know I do some like website design on the side for some small businesses and I'm always eating the cost of like the annual fee. You know what I mean? Because I I try to pass savings on to them. Um, I sound like a bed salesman or something like that, but I'm trying to, you know, keep it cheaper for customers and it's nice to not have to pay an annual fee for sure. That'll be cool. In terms of comparisons to regular websites, can you currently like use something like WordPress on these sites or right now it's still kind of, I see that you guys have templates on your website. So there is no way to use WordPress yet, but I think that there's going to be a big phase where we start trying to plug in the you know, traditional web building tools more. Mm. Because to your point, a lot of that stuff you know already exists. Like the web has had 25 years of development of tools and things like that to make all this stuff really easy. So Mm -hmm. I think that is a great 
thing for you know, the decentralized web to be able to rely on. Like we don't actually need to make it all up from scratch. We can look at, hey, here's what happened on the regular web the past 25 years. Yeah. And a lot of the web building stuff is great. It's really advanced. The thing that we're trying to change is where does the stuff get stored, which changes it a little bit. It doesn't really change the web building part that much. So I think you, you're going to start seeing a lot more of that. Yeah, definitely. And that's a great point. I mean, they say work smarter, not harder, and all of that already exists. So you don't need to rebuild everything from scratch when you can utilize what already exists. I mean, that's just it's a great point. So you guys recently integrated with Opera. Do you want to talk a little bit about that integration with Opera? And if you have any plans of integrating with any other browsers? Yeah. So this is an entirely alternate internet. And so because you are getting the record of where the website is off of the blockchain instead of off of the DNS system, it means that browsers need to read the blockchain. And so traditionally what they do is is they read DNS servers, they find IP addresses, they show you websites. Here, they need to read the blockchain instead of DNS servers, find IPFS hashes, and then show you websites on the IPFS network. And this is a new process for them, but not a very difficult process for them. So we've been seeing browsers more and more get interested in crypto, get excited about crypto, and start adding wallets to their applications. So Opera Browser added a wallet, an Ethereum wallet, to the browser. This allows them to store domains. So you can store a .crypto domain inside of the Opera wallet. You can also type in a .crypto domain and go see a website. You can, you know, there's Kyber Network, the decentralized exchange protocol. You can go to kyber.crypto and see their website. You can type that into Opera Browser and check it out. And for browsers, this is an opportunity to show users a new set of websites. So it's just a new channel for them, a new group of content. And so we're seeing browsers kind of across the board getting interested in decentralized web. There's been a whole bunch of projects from Mozilla. I think there's a lot of interest from other browsers as well. But in the meantime, there's also extensions. So we've also focused on Chrome extensions, extensions for other browsers. So there's always a way for users to view the decentralized web. So with Opera, it's native in Android. So 80 million users can get access to the decentralized web without having to do anything. But it's going to take a little while for that to be the case for all all applications. Is there any specific reason that Opera was the browser that decided to get with the times first? I think they're very focused on the crypto features. Mm-hmm. And they have been thinking about decentralized tools for a while. So they have also done other things like, you know, I mentioned the Ethereum wallet. They have a VPN built into the browser. So they've just been thinking about this whole suite of tools that you would want for a decentralized internet. And so they, you know, they have a great product team and they saw how to do it and they made it happen. I expect that they won't be the only ones. Oh yeah, no, yeah, for sure. I mean, the other browsers would, it would benefit them tremendously to get in on this. And I think they will. If you look at Reddit, obviously it's not a browser, social media platform, but they just released a somewhat more public beta of their own kind of like blockchain ecosystem, also on the Ethereum blockchain called uh, Vault. So that's pretty interesting. And that's going to be in beta until the end of summer 2020. I've been in the industry just for a few years now, but you see a lot of different companies starting to realize that blockchain is that blockchain technology, I should say, is where it's at. And there's a lot of uses for blockchain technology. And I think it's interesting to see all these different utilizations. Check out the Reddit thing if you haven't. It's reddit.com slash vault if you haven't heard of it. Yeah, no, we've we've been tracking it. We're pretty excited. I mean, I think it's actually it's a huge, huge announcement for crypto. Yeah. 
300 million monthly users that are getting access to an Ethereum wallet. Yeah, there's a good parallel between what you guys are doing and what Reddit's doing because it's making crypto so much more easily accessible to the layman, to the mainstream user. I mean, having an address that integrates all of your wallets, like I said, telling somebody, hey, just send it to sale.crypto instead of being like, let me get my wallet address for this coin or for this blockchain and then you can send it to this. What you guys are doing versus what Reddit's doing, I mean, that's great for adoption. It's huge for adoption. And I'm excited for both uh, to see how they all play out. Also, Ethereum blockchain. Everybody seems to be working on the Ethereum blockchain. Is that because of smart contracts? And that's why everybody seems to use the Ethereum blockchain for these types of things? Yeah, it's smart contracts. And then I think that the thing that has been happening over the past couple of years is that Ethereum has just gotten so many integrations. You know, that's just, it's the, the default smart contract blockchain inside of most wallet apps, the browsers that are integrating uh, blockchain and just, and so on and so forth. So it's where all the stuff just works. So like, for example, when we launched uh, crypto domain names, because they're ERC-721 tokens, they just worked in marketplaces like OpenSea. And they would just show up in the collectibles section inside of a Coinbase wallet or Trust Wallet or IM token or these other wallets. So there's so many things that you get just by virtue of Ethereum already having the integrations. So I think that's part of the reason why. Yeah, definitely. All right, so back to Unstoppable Domains. Are there any future plans or anything going on that you want to talk about? Any other cool stuff with Unstoppable Domains that you want to discuss? It is really easy now to launch a website on IPFS. If you go to unstoppabledomains.com and you get a domain, we have a template section where you can pick from profile pages, some other things like that, and you can easily, with a couple of clicks, configure and launch a website. So it's actually easy now for non-technical users to start using this stuff. That's new. I would say this is a 2020 thing. Even in 2019, I don't really think that these kinds of tools existed yet. And so as a result of this, we've seen two things happen. One is that people are launching a bunch of websites. So I think we've had more than 6,000 websites launch this year, just in the past couple months. Nice. We've had a bunch of top applications launch websites, like MyEtherWallet I mentioned, MyEtherWallet.crypto, Kyber.crypto, Switchio.crypto, another Dex, and many more. So now that it's starting to get easier, we're just starting to see a lot more websites coming. And that's the thing that has me the most excited is that 2020 is the year. People are actually starting to use this stuff. And I don't think that we could have said that in previous years in the same way. Yeah, definitely. Talking about the decentralized internet made me think a lot about certain applications that we mentioned today, like YouTube, for example, where a lot of the content creators on YouTube tend to complain a lot about how YouTube does censor them. So clearly there is a need for a decentralized app, like a decentralized YouTube. However, we know that YouTube's a behemoth, right? Like they've been around forever. They're, everybody knows YouTube. A grandma who doesn't even know about the internet knows what YouTube is. So do you think it's realistic that in 15, 20 years, we'll be seeing more decentralized applications that are super popular take over the more mainstream applications? I think yes, because ultimately what's happening is those applications are storing data and like their core, like the thing that's like, leading them slowly to their monopolies is that they are data monopolies. Mm -hmm. And this is true for Facebook. You know, Facebook has all of our data, therefore you have to use Facebook for your newsfeed and stuff like that. YouTube has stores all the video for you, therefore you have to use YouTube in order to view that video. But if you stored all that data yourself, then you could just 
offer it to YouTube or some other application on some temporary basis and then offer that same content to 20 other sites. So rather than just having your YouTube video on YouTube, and if YouTube decides they don't like it, they take it down, you store it yourself, make it available to 20 YouTubes, that's going to completely change the power balance. So it's not so much that like YouTube itself is going to disappear. I don't think that it will, but it may need to evolve. Mm. Like YouTube may need to stop storing video content and let their users store their own video content. And then they become like a search engine for video. So they don't necessarily disappear, but the, the architecture, the way that it works changes. And that means that you could use 20 YouTubes, which still changes the power and it is far, far better for consumers and for content creators. Right. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense that the answer to solving monopolies is creating more competition because then they have no choice but to adapt and to be better for the consumer. I mean, talking about ISPs, I mean, a lot of places there's one big ISP that you can choose from. And so they can charge as much as they want for crappy data. It's clear that competition definitely makes these companies adapt and kind of bend the knee a little bit more to the consumer rather than the other way around. Well, hey, that's been some really great information. Like I said, I'm super excited about Unstoppable Domains. I'm definitely going to register my own. As soon as you guys release the salvator.crypto, I'm all on that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for talking about Unstoppable Domains. If somebody wants to get in touch with you or if somebody wants to find out more about Unstoppable Domains, how can they do that? Definitely check out the website, unstoppabledomains.com. Follow us on Twitter for announcements, Unstoppable Web. And if you want to talk to us directly, I would check out our Telegram, Unstoppable Domains. There's 7,000 people in there. There's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week conversation. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again, Brad. Appreciate it. And everybody, thank you for listening to the Bitcoin Taxes podcast. Be sure to stay tuned for more cryptocurrency and blockchain-related podcasts. And don't forget to check out our new mini podcast, The Cryptocurrency Informer, where we highlight interesting events occurring each week in the crypto and crypto-adjacent spaces. The Bitcoin Texas podcast was created by Colin Mackey and Salvatore Vesio and edited and produced by Isabel Chaparro and Salvatore Vesio.